This is the Strength Beyond Fitness Podcast. A Build Body Fitness production brought to you by Coach Louise and Coach Renee, where we talk about simple principles to train your mind, transform your body, and maybe even change your life. Our guest today is Larry Resbit. Larry specializes in functional strength training using kettlebells and corrective exercises for injury rehab. Larry coaches private, semi-private, and group. He is well-experienced working with shoulders, knee, hips, ankles, and other major joints. He loves coaching and helping people retrain their body so that they can move pain-free. He is happy to help in any way he can. We do apologize for a minor mic frequency issue near minute 40. Just listen on and the show will be back to normal. Thank you. Larry, welcome to the podcast. I am beyond stoked to have you on here, man. This is a, a huge honor. The, the audience uh, might not know, but you have been one of like the biggest foundational trainers that influenced me to be where I'm at right now, coach the way I am, and uh, have such a like friendly personality when it comes to training. Because when I when I first started, when I first became a trainer, um, I didn't understand like the industry. I didn't know anything about it. My my first impression of trainers was always like, you know, very strict looking and uh, that kind of like hardcore mindset or something. But like when I met you in Brickyard, you were like fully the opposite. And then when I talked about becoming a trainer, you were like one of the most supportive. So thanks for joining, man. This is awesome. I'm excited. Dude, absolutely. Um, that means a lot, man. Seriously, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I've been looking forward to it for a while. So, um, yeah, man, let's dig in. Let's dig in. Well, I think it's interesting. First thing you said was this idea you had of a trainer. And I feel like there's a certain trainer, maybe from an early 2000s reality TV show that comes to mind. <laughs> that A trainer's just someone that kind of yells at you and, you know, makes you cry and insults you. And so... I want to take a moment for those who don't know you because, you know, this is the first time we're meeting of what kind of is your niche? What type of trainer, for those who don't know you, what's your specialty? Um, you know, I've, I think now, like, you know, Louis, Luis and I have talked is, is to a point where it's injury rehab and prevention is sort of my niche. And that's just because of the demographic I've worked with. Um, in my experience as a coach, the most disciplined and consistent clients are going to be the ones that have dealt with pain. And I've, I've trained a lot of younger people, a lot of, you know, really promising people, whether it's going military or college sports. But the thing is, they just, it could be a lack of maturity, whatever the case could be distractions. But until someone's experienced an injury, or perhaps like a postural setback or anything, they're not really willing to lay it all on the line and work for it, right? Unless maybe you got a scholarship, you really have a promising route. So I never intended for that to be my my niche, so to speak. But that's just kind of where my journey's taken me almost a decade in. So I'm thankful for it because it's really helped me get over a lot of my own injuries and restore a lot of my um, kind of shortcomings phys- physiologically. So yeah, I think in the beginning I just started as a means to just help people move better and show people that you can, even if, you know, you're overweight, you're old, no matter the age that you can always start, start something, you know, it's never too late to do something. So the injury prevention, prehab, rehab, and uh, postural correction stuff has been literally a lifesaver for myself and, and many clients as well. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. 
it is like such a a it's such an area of training that I feel like should be glorified and it's not like um everything that's glorified is obviously the hard sweat and grind and push and heavy and all the all yeah, the fun stuff because that's like kind of what's attractive like i mean you know you 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 like put a crowd around someone on a treadmill like the excitement is when they're running super super hard obviously or mm-hmm. on a powerlifting competition is that they're pushing heavy heavy ass weight there's no excitement on like, oh, look, your shoulder and scapulation is like in perfect like alignment. That's going to help you reduce some of the neck pain that you have. Or like look at your hips are now uh, walking well. So we're starting to reduce maybe some sciatic or so we're building some more core structure that is functional. No one's like cheering on for that. So I love. Or at least they're not cheering on for it until you see the before and after. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wait, I want that. But wait, that's going to take me a year. And suddenly that sustainable doesn't feel as sexy as like, you know, that quick, heavy lift. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. And we, al- we, al- we almost named this podcast Sustainably Sexy. <laughs> it's really, it, was, it was super close Love it. because it was like it's the sustainable things that like that de- in, in reality are sexy. Like they, they, they lead to long term sexy. Long- exactly. So um, you said it's been y- your career has been how long? A, a, over a decade? Uh, professionally, almost a decade. Um, you know, I've been weight training and, and coaching friends and stuff for going on 15, 20 years. But, um, you know, the main reason I even got into coaching, because I, I mean, I grew up in Montana coming from five generations of butchers. So until I was 24, mm-hmm. I assumed that I would take over the butcher shop and just kind of continue with that life, which I was totally fine with, you know, small town, Montana, there's not a lot of worry. You just, you make your money, you get through the brutal winters and that's it. So, um, you know, when all that fell apart after 108 years, roughly, uh, I left, went to Vegas, got into bartending, all that stuff, made some good money, but Vegas is a whole other animal and I just didn't see myself there long-term. So, you know, fast forward to 2014 when I, um, decided to move to Utah, I was still dealing with a lot of pain. I had, uh, at 26, I went into stage two degeneration in my L5S1. And I was told by multiple mm-hmm. chiropractors that I should stop lifting altogether, which just wasn't an option for me because that's growing up like a husky kid and everything. Like I got into weights because I wanted to look better. I, I like, I wanted girls to like me. It was this, it was the typical run of the mill teenage stuff, you know, but yeah. <clears throat> with the back pain and these injuries and these setbacks, I just finally kind of had enough and I don't like taking pills. I'm definitely not anti-doctor or anything. I just believe that so many people skip any sort of protocol before running to the doctor. So I had a good mentor who I grew up with in Montana. He was a NASA master trainer by the time I think he was 24, um, the youngest in the world, I believe. And he just kind of laid it out and just said like, let's just reteach you how to move. And I did. I retaught my hinge, my squat, my bench, you name it, my push-up. And it just it sort of just opened my eyes to this whole other thing. And I said, well, if I can get to a point where I'm dealing with these really debilitating injuries where, you know, you're crawling in the fetal position on your on your floor at 22 years old, 23, because of back pain, you know, if I can get through that, then who's to say I can't help someone else through that same thing, right? So mm-hmm. when I got certified through NASM, everything was just kind of self-taught and I just kind of I just went, went for it. And, um, yeah, I'd I'd say I'm going on my ninth, eighth or ninth year right now, 
professionally. So it's been, it's been a journey, man. It's been a lot of ups and downs and, and a lot of, you know, questioning whether I'm doing the right thing. Um, but I think you can, you, you both can probably agree with this, that once you get independent, as scary as it is in the beginning, you're just like, there's this weight lifted, you know, because oh, yeah. you get to sort of dictate and roll out your own plan. You don't have to check every little thing you're doing with, with this corporate big box, you know, agenda. It's just kind of like there's their structure. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot of limitations of things that you might want to do as a trainer that through the corporate like limitations that you just can't do them. Absolutely. Um, I remember that being a, I remember that being a huge thing that you'd always kind of get in trouble with in Vasa is that like you weren't following. Yeah. You, <laughs> oh, no, no, you, you can say it. I didn't follow the, the template uh, at all. That's why they didn't like, you didn't, you, you weren't, yeah. Yeah. You didn't follow the template mm-hmm. at all. It was like, are you following the template? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. And it's, but it's what get, that's what kept you the clientele that you had to be so loyal and always renew and even like follow you. Um, two things I want to touch upon because I think this is awesome. Yeah. Um, one is I want to touch upon uh, how do you, you – you said like if I can overcome this, if I can overcome this like back pain and, and reteach my body how to move well, why like why can't someone else – and I think so. Th- that someone else, they have a hard time seeing that truth. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also a hard time deciding, like, what's when it comes to pain, what is going to lead to progress, and what's going to lead to regression. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a scary line, especially if you don't have that understanding of, you know, if I do this movement, it's going to hurt. So then they limit themselves. So you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big issue that we've seen across the board with clients. Yeah. So how do you teach that? Like, how do you how do you let them know? Because what I've my current experience, my so it's awesome because you're so you've been you're a decade close to your since since you started mm-hmm. your career and I started mine in 2017, so I'm hitting that five year like I think yeah you're going on six now huh? Going on six. So like I'm like half I'm like half of like kind of where you're at. Um, but I'm still learning how to really show my clients and potential clients that through this process that they can uh, achieve and overcome these things. Cause they look at me and they're like, Oh, that's just cause you're young and you do this all the time and everything. And you know, and it's like, not really. I promise you. Like I, I wake up sometimes and I'm like, my back hurts cause I had herniated mm-hmm. disc and I'm sure if I did an MRI now, they'd say that it's fully degenerative cause I feel it. But when I go lift and I do a deadlift and I do a squat, I promise you, I am not sucking up any pain. I'm able to put myself in a position where I I don't feel any pain. I feel strength through my muscles for my lips. So, yeah, like, how do you do it? What's your process? So my whole whole thing when, you know, it's a lot easier signing up a client who's 100% healthy, who Mm -hmm. is just ready to just be kind of thrown to the wolves. You know, I'll run my mobility screen, all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, we're good to go. Let's, Let's hit the ground running. However, that might be fun for them, but in the long run, A, they might not stick with training quite as long because they just think, well, I'm just going to get my butt kicked in a workout, you know? So it's, especially with a younger demographic, it's hard to convey that point to them. However, if I have someone coming to me, male or female, whatever the case, with pain, it doesn't matter what the pain is, I, I explain to them that like, you know, I'll use two clients for an example, um, both female, one's mid sixties, the other is, uh, 52. 
And the 52-year-old just took a, um, had kind of a, a physical and just overall up health checkup. And she, the doctor said he has never seen a healthier 52-year-old. And he put her in the 19-year-old. Yeah, he put her in the 19-year-old bracket. So wow. she's been with me. She's actually one of uh, Casey's old clients. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I inherited her from Casey because Casey was a sweetheart. And um, Oh, yeah. Anyway, this, this client, aside from, you know, being very healthy, she also has had scoliosis since she was a child. And in 20, I think it was right around when the pandemic hit, she was diagnosed with frozen shoulder. And, you know, for those, of the, for those listening that aren't familiar with, like, frozen shoulder or shoulder neuropathy, it is some of the worst, most paralyzing pain that you can go through. Um, essentially what happens is you get these little crystals of whether it's bone spurs, acid, cartilage buildup, and they just form around in that, that humerus capsule. And um, I, you remember I the old... I've never heard of it. Have you heard of that? I heard of it, but not, I didn't know what it was. And it sounds awful. And all of us are literally just cringing, holding on to our shoulders. <laughs> I know, right? I know this is, this isn't recorded. Uh, video, like, uh, but yeah, we yeah it's, it's pretty bad. I know like, obviously people can't see, but you two can see me. You know, there's, there's a test we do where you just, you grab your opposite shoulder and you try to r- lift your elbow as high as you can. Mm-hmm. And that lets you know that you have a good clear nerve channel. So you've done that before. Yeah. FMS well, does that as well. Yep. Yep. So you know, keep in mind, she had already been training with me for about a year. We had healed, um, an old pec injury. We'd, we'd, uh, kind of strengthened the core around the scoliosis. And then this frozen shoulder just came out of nowhere. And it was a point where she couldn't, uh, her arm was limited to about a three inch motion, I'd say. So, you know, she did what most people do is when, when pain happens, it's human nature. It's that fight or flight, like, Oh, something's wrong. I need to go get it looked at, you know, or I need to rest and stay away from that pain. Both options aren't bad, but what I find is usually if there's an injury and there's pain, you need to figure out where the pain came from and you need to start working your way back down the chain and creating motions again that may have injured it, right? right. So she went to a doctor that was very, <clears throat> very highly referred and recommended. And it's no discredit to this doctor, but this just kind of shows you the how doctors are seen in the training community. You know? Yeah, go for it. Be the full transparent. I mean, like, we respect them, but and sometimes, oh, like, it's like, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, just stop listening to your doctor for a second. Well, like, it's, there's, just, there's just a clear for, disconnect. Like a yeah. Like, there's a clear disconnect yeah. between trainers, physical therapists, and doctors, and it's really frustrating how you're being to fill in those gaps. I mean, I've even gotten arguments with my sister, and I, like, that I say arguments because my sister, I'll argue with my sister. I will not argue with the client out of respect and being professional, right. but with my sister, right. she's like, you're not a doctor. I'm like, I know I'm not a doctor. I don't put myself in a doctor. Um, I am so far Do you know what I doc- say to that? What? <laughs> when people say that, I said, true, but your doctor is not a movement specialist. I love that, dude. I just need to so say that. I, th- I think they need to see, like, there, there's like, there's diagnoses and then there's protocol and, yeah. you know, like my PTA that I'm, I work very, very close hand in hand with. She's amazing because she can see like a client of mine and say like, Hey, I met with so-and-so the, this, this, and this area were really bound up. I think you need to focus on these areas, but she knows that when it comes to the biomechanics of it, she mm-hmm. isn't as confident there. So she turns the, turns the script over to me and then I just keep going. So I feel I like that. if there was more of that from like doctors to chiropractors to, to physios to um, trainers, mm-hmm. the whole populace as in general, or at least people who, who give a damn anyway, they would 
be healthier and healthier and we wouldn't be such a like a health risk of a nation which america is you know yeah um no you're absolutely you're absolutely true about that you're like you are and um it's it's uh we, we we like to work with physical therapists and we truly try to find the ones that can trust us and do that like okay well if mm-hmm. i'm gonna go out and tell you hey i have someone they'll listen they're not just like oh, okay cool cool they'll listen and they'll they'll respond back to us and say hey in our session today that they, they say we worked on this i think when i think you should continue to build on this in your session and teach a little bit more of these principles for them to understand and it's it honestly has given some of our clients the best results when you have that combination mm-hmm. of work. I think it's also just made us seem a little bit more, I don't know. It's like validated them of there's been so many times where we've talked with the <laughs> physical therapist. They've had them do a movement that happens to be one we're already implementing as a warm up or mobility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep. yeah, we know what we're doing. Like, sure. You could probably go on WebMD and diagnose yourself, but like, trust me, I've like, literally you're, this is what my education is about. Like, I'm not going to purposely try to hurt you more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to like the, the client I was talking about with the frozen shoulder, you know, she, she went into this doctor's office and this is exactly what she told me. She went in and sat for about 20 minutes waiting for him. And then he came in and you know, like all doctors overbook themselves. It's just the way it is. So he comes in, he sits down kind of just reaches over and just does a little prodding around her shoulder and she's in pain. And she goes, well, yeah, it's frozen. All right. Um, and she goes, okay, well, what are my options? And he goes, surgery for sure. Um, he said, post-surgery, you're looking about a one to three year recovery. <laughs> and that just completely like deflated her because we had been making so much progress, not just like, not just physically, but like emotionally, mentally getting her into the spot where she doesn't see herself as being like, like lacking on exercises. Cause she worked with Casey. She loved working with Casey and she's mm-hmm. always had a trainer like for years and she just said like I just feel so weak you know and then the shoulder hit and that was just a really big mental blow so I told her and I said you know ultimately it's your decision but if, if you just give me a few months let's see what we can do and in the f- I believe the fourth month she was back to full range overhead pressing push-ups rows um, lateral raises everything that would had caused pain before was gone and fast forward two three years it has never come back. That's amazing. So it's like, I love that. Of all so the much. injuries I've, I, I, I've helped people through a lot of injuries. I've dealt with a lot of really gnarly injuries, but that one in particular is I'm, I'm very proud of. And it's not, it's not just what I did. She had to do the work, mm-hmm. but she just understood. And this goes back to that, you know, most clients over 35 and 40 are just going to trust you a little more. That's just the reality of it, you know, because mm-hmm. they have, they have mileage on their wheels. They have wear and tear, you know, and a lot of them, especially in Utah and Luis, you can attest to this. Like a lot of people in Utah are medicated, man. There are, there's a lot of opiates going around and there's a lot of, um, a lot of masking pain. And I'm not a, I'm not a believer in masking pain cause I've been there. You know, I watched my dad go through it with blown rotator cuff and injuries at the butcher shop and he would get his cortisone shot, his stitches, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's 60, he'll be 63 this year and I train him twice a week, but he's got so much damage that arguably could have been a little prevented if he wouldn't have just ran to the needle and the pills. Yeah. But that's just, that's just human nature, you know? So I'm a big believer in, to answer your first question you had is when I'm trying to explain to someone that it's going to be a process 
I just tell them like, you know, you have two options. You keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep being cyclical. Your pain will come and go. Or you can just trust me. That's it. Like, just trust me. I will never push you into something that I don't think you can do. But be like, once you walk through these doors, you have to understand that like your well-being is my sole purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think once they get over that hurdle and then, you know, a few sessions in, they're like, hey, you know, I woke up this morning and like this didn't feel as bad. It's those little like those small mental victories. That's yeah. what keeps people going. And that's what makes my job funner, too, you know. But like you said, getting to that point is very it's like pulling teeth sometimes, you know. It's it's super hard. And that's something we've had to kind of challenge some of our clients with, of you know, managing pain and. I mean, I have autoimmune disorder. I struggle with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, but I've been able to switch to being unmedicated, which is huge, which is huge. But it's Mm -hmm. sad how often people are relying on, you know, how many Tylenol are you having each and every day to get through the day? Are you reaching for Tylenol first? Or are you looking at what are more like holistic methods of can can movement help you? Like how often are you moving? Are you, If you're sitting at an office for, you know, 12 hours, you're sitting in a car and then you're taking Tylenol, are you actually making the issue any better? Or are you just, you know, putting your liver to extra work? No, it's, it's, it's just that it's it's like... You know, it's like someone who loves drinking a lot of coffee every day. I'll have like maybe a cup, but since I take pre-workout, I try to keep my caffeine um, consumption to just around that window. And, but I mean, how many people do you know that will have a coffee at four in the afternoon because they're just, they need to make it through that last hour, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I think we're just, as a society, it, we're, it's kind of a double-edged sword in, in America because we're so obsessed with gym culture and like social media and stuff but at the same time we're also one of the heaviest nations one of the most unhealthy and we have some of the highest processed food all this stuff so there's just like you said renee there's so much of a disconnect not just in the medical industry but like just as a whole because so many people you know when i grew up we didn't have social media it makes me sound old i'm gonna be 35 but like it just didn't exist you know not even myspace nothing so it's like you I had bodybuilding magazines and, and, and people would track their nutrition with pens and paper. And it was just like the beauty of that time, there was no way you could pick up your phone after a good workout, be scrolling through Instagram and then see someone, you know, or someone you look up to that is doing so much better than you comparatively. And that's what, that's what creates these like, you know, when I tell people I'm a, I'm a, I tell people I'm a strength coach, I don't use the term personal trainer anymore because the term personal trainer has too many douchey things related to it, right? And it's unfortunate because it's just a title. Yeah. But like in the beginning, you said everybody envision, envisions a trainer as this like shredded tank top kind of like slightly arrogant person who can just <laughs> yell at you and make you work out. Ben Carpenter talked about it the other day of, you know, as a personal trainer, once you tell someone you're a trainer, instantly they jump into this defensive mode of, oh, you know, I work out Mm -hmm. like this and this is how I eat, but don't judge me. It's like, I I don't care. I'm, I'm literally in the line at the grocery Mm. store compared to if you talk to a dentist, you're not going to be like, I promise I brush my teeth every single day and I floss. And I, I mean, I saw my orthodont. It's like, (laughs) they don't care. But for some reason, personal trainer, people put up this like defensive thing. Like I'm not going to try to sell you. Or they have to tell you their whole plan and what they do just just for for you to approve it. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I see it go two ways. Typically it's, it's either that, like you just mentioned, or they start kind of, bragging downplaying what you do for a living mm. you know and, and i've had comments from you know 
people close to me and stuff that that have kind of made the comments like, well, when are you going to like, when are you going to get a real job? And I'm like, what's more real than helping someone through pain or helping someone achieve a better version of themselves? How, how is there anything not honorable in that? Well, I think especially your niche too. Like, I'm sure if we went to ja- Ch- Luis's favorite thing right now, chat GPT oh. <laughs> of like, you know, <laughs> training is a hundred percent replaceable. You can go on Google, you can find a programming like that part of training mm-hmm. is replaceable. But when it comes to, you know, the accountability, how many times have you had to deal with a client crying or personal problems? Like the humane part of training is not replaceable. Oh, we're therapists for sure. We're, yeah. we're underpaid therapists. Yeah. We really are. And that, you know, I, I think I've always been good at that aspect because you know, I grew up in customer service. I grew up in the butcher shop. I grew up, uh, I bartended for five years. And when you're a bartender, you're also a therapist because when people drink alcohol, it's truth serum, you know? So it's like, whether it's at the Salt Lake airport and someone un- unloading their problems to me while they're waiting for their plane or working with a client and them having like a, you know, one client I work with, um, she had a lot of not demons, just a lot of, you know, repression and, and sort of abuse growing up. And she was never taught to ever, ever embrace her own body. And I can't imagine, you know, not wanting to even look at a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, she hates, hated mirrors, everything when I met her. And I just, aside from the physical stuff, which was a challenge and we've, we've accomplished a lot, it's the emotional and mental stuff that I think I'm almost more proud of. But in order to unlock that, it's taken the physical work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it was easy for me, you know, growing up being like a chubby kid and everything. It was like, woe is me. But I also had, I grew up around bodybuilding. We had a gym on our own property. I started lifting at 13 years old. I had a good, a couple good teachers, you know, so it was like, it was always fun for me. And I forget sometimes that that's not fun for a lot of people. Yeah. Like being a, being a gym rat, <clears throat> this and that, I always tell people don't. I do not expect you to love the gym. I don't expect you to love lifting weights. However, I do expect you to just simply care about your own well-being because we get one shot, man. And like, you know, I got people in my family that I love dearly that are very overweight, um, you know, that are unhealthy and stuff. And it's like, I'm not the most healthy person, but I wake up every damn day with that in mind. You know, it's like, I don't... I hate seeing people I care about start to just wear down when I know that it's not necessary, you know, and I've even worked with, I had a client who was 17, awesome kid, but, and he was a runner and he couldn't touch his toes. Hmm. And I'm just thinking like, I'm seeing more and more like young people that are in worse shape than people our age. And there, there's that huge disconnect again. It's just like, everybody sits, everybody's just, stagnant and they don't put their health first and all, all you got to do is just care a little bit every day that's it you know yeah. well i was going to ask you that what do you think it's leading these kids at the younger age to sometimes even be worse like uh, like what do i think is like causing it yeah you say you're seeing it a little bit more and more what what's the pattern out there that you that you're seeing yeah i mean like i can well i think i mean i don't know i've heard a lot of people say oh it's video games it's this and that i'm like I call BS because I've always been a gamer and I was that, you know, like lazy kid growing up. But at the same time, we were always out on our bikes. We were always down at the river playing. We were like, we didn't just stay inside. But now kids are wanting to really, they want to play all their high school sports, but they're not 
doing a damn thing outside of it to move. You know, so it's like just because you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old does not mean you're healthy anymore. And that's what's sad because usually for decades and decades, it was like, oh, the younger are healthier. And it's sort of it's sort of turning a little bit now. I also heard like it's super it was common for a time of, you know, when they threw kids into baseball and instantly made them a pitcher all these kids were having these rotator cuff issues because they weren't training anything else. They were just learning yeah. to throw, throw, throw. And it's like, shoot, imagine how harsh that mm-hmm. is. Like you're, you're, if you wanted them to be professional, you're damaging their potential. Well, I was just going to say, I think like, you know, baseball, any, any swing sport or throwing sport, there's so much that goes into being an effective thrower. Like, um, Chad, for example, mm-hmm. who's another, uh, trainer I work with, worked with Luis, you know, and, um, Chad's like a master at teaching swing mechanics and throwing mechanics. And when you watch him break it down, I'm like, well, no wonder so many young kids are just broken before they could even try for college because they're just thinking I'm young, I'm healthy. I can throw the hell out of a ball. That's all I need. They're putting their whole swing on their arm and it, the, the, the power of the swing doesn't, oh, doesn't yeah. just come from their arm. Doesn't come just come from no. the flip of the flick of the wrist as you release the ball. It the mechanics start from the feet, start from the feet and work their way up to the hip, and then, then that the mm-hmm. power. So uh, no, I definitely I want to touch touch upon Chad because uh, not not yet, but he's he's another trainer. You so a little bit of the story is that um, when I started in Vasa as a trainer there, it was it was Larry and Chad. They were running they were running things in the morning. They were the they were there at five or six a.m. running things all the way to like Every two, day. and I and I got to witness yeah. and see you two train, and that was like my foundation really comes based on like what I saw, the way that you guys didn't just throw people into into exercising to sweat and lose weight. It was like addressing those mechanics, um, but right before before it was very much personalized, exactly you know? super personalized, and I, and I, like although I did the certifications and the whole like 12 or 18 week mentorship or not mentorship um internship 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 program like none of that yeah none of that internship or certification taught me that what you guys did like like the the no that means a lot man i appreciate yeah like so the internship and, and and those certifications yeah taught me like fundamentals of the science part of it of like things to watch out ways to screen people um you know the textbook stuff but really there's more to textbook things when it comes to training uh it mm-hmm. it, it it goes far beyond that it, it like and you you'll discover your niche as you go it doesn't every trainer doesn't have to be you know a niche about found fun, fundamental foundation movements but i really believe like every person should go through a trainer that focuses on that it's like uh, if we even if we take baseball for example as a part of the sport Baseball doesn't just have one coach at all. It has multiple coaches. No. You have your third bit, your, your your third base coach. You have your pitching coach. You have your batting coach. Um, and every, every every athlete goes through. Okay, well, we're gonna work on 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 batting. You work with your batting coach. You're not working with the third base coach, right? Your third base. No. Your third. You're in third base. You're working with the third base coach. You have your outfield coach. So. Personal yeah. training. Same, same with same with football and, too. You got a lineman coach. You got a quarterback coach. Yeah, you got exactly. You know you name it. Exactly. So people need to start like discovering that. Like they need to go into their journey and and recognize that there are a lot of fields and like you need to you, you, on the things that you want to accomplish. You should go through the right coach. Like through the and and 
and it's just not advertised. It's not like uh, people don't know it. They just again it goes back to thinking personal training and back to the stereotype. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of dive deeper into. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Go ahead. Uh, you were talking about caffeine earlier, and you know my caffeine is still kind of fading from my workout a bit. Um, I want to <laughs> dive deeper into you know what does in- injury prevention, the prehab rehab look like? So. You know, something Luis has brought up a ton. I mean, I'm familiar when it comes to posture, when it comes to breath work, but he's used the term nervous system training. And one, that sounds super mm-hmm. intense, but break it down for, for the rest of us. Like, what the heck is nervous system it's, training and why is Luis obsessed with it? Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question. Let's see. Told you that so the, the main thing with the nervous system... <laughs> no, this is good. This is good. It makes me think. Um, I teach a lot about the, the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, right? Your sympathetic nervous system is going to be your fight or flight. And that's something as simple as me putting a client into a new variation of a plank, right? They get that like yep. their, their mind's saying like, holy crap, this is, this is intense. That's their fight or flight kicking in. And what that can do is that has a negative effect on what you're trying to accomplish in that workout, right? So part of having an effective workout and, you know, training the heart, training the lungs, not just looking at your body as the aesthetic part, but looking internally, you have to have somewhat control over your nervous system. And that's where the breathing is really key, right? That's where I teach a ton of breathing to people. Um, I don't go super in depth with the, the nervous stuff and the breathing stuff, unless people are having like deep rooted pain. Um, if something on their deadlift or squat is falling apart, I'm going to say, okay, well, you're, you're breathing shallow, therefore your nervous system isn't letting go. It's not relaxing, mm-hmm. right? So I teach them like, A, like you're a chest breather. You're a neck breather. You breathe really high and you carry stress. Well, we're deadlifting today. So I need you to breathe into your pelvic floor and your abdomen more and more like diaphragm. Yep. And then they kind of look at me like, I've never, I don't know what that means. I just, I just breathe. I'm like, well, there's, we'll give you just a little run. It's called the TPC. It's called the, the thoracopelvic canister, and that is your entire air tank for the body. And I learned this from a couple of chiropractors, um, a couple, man and wife actually, very knowledgeable, very awesome people. But it starts from your pelvic floor and goes all the way up. So chamber one being like right around the pelvic floor, chamber two being your abdominal to diaphragm, and then chamber three being up in the chest and out of the back. Mm-hmm. So um, one example, uh, if you have a client who, you know, not overweight or anything, but for some reason, like little movements get their heart rate into that red zone and they have a very hard time recovering from it, you know, their breathing's messed up. So I just try to teach them like think meditative breathing, right? That's where the nervous system responds. So I teach them three to five second inhale, three to five second hold, and then the longest exhale you can get until all that CO2 is out of your body. And what it does is it shocks their heart a little bit because they're freaking out because they think they're withholding breath. Yeah. But once you have them do that for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and tell them any time in between sets when you're on rest, I need you breathing like you're meditating. And I have one client, um, decent shape, you know, had a, took a stress test. He, he seems to do fine. But he would just stay at like 170 to 190 for a whole hour. And he's my size. And I was just told him, I was like, that's not good, man. Like, we have fat, we have fat loss in mind. 
and you're in hit cardio for an hour, you're, you're going to go catabolic before anything. So the breathing, it's taken about three, four weeks, but all of a sudden I asked him, I was like, what did you peak at today? He's like 170. I was like, that's 20 beats lower. And now he's seeing that he can go 175 and then drop to 125. Because that's my rule. Is like I said, you're not starting the next set till you hit 125 or 130 because that's back in that fat burn zone, right? So the breathing really dictates what, how the nervous system is going to react. <clears throat> and that's just the sympathetic. Now, your parasympathetic is your passive. That's what you really can't control. Um, that's going to be a lot more... That takes a lot more patience to kind of dig into that one. It's the rest and digest, but, right? Yep, 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 pretty much. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be just that autopilot, you know. Yeah. But um, I just always tell people if you can have a better connection with with your nerve channels, with you know, knowing when to be explosive on a rep, knowing when to be tempoed on a rep, knowing when when to exhale, when to inhale on a movement, because I'm sure you guys see it too. There's so many people that just they'll start lifting and their breathing makes no sense. You know, they'll exhale on the way down on a deadlift, they'll inhale coming up and, and then they gas themselves. And when, when I have them reteach the breathing, they're like, well, I'm stronger and I feel more relaxed. And I said, that's the whole thing. We're not trying to get your adrenaline spikes so you can lift. We're trying to get you to control your lungs and heart mm -hmm. so you can develop power, you know, and the nervous system, it all starts in the center, all in the core. You know, I always, think of our core is is a tree trunk and if the tree trunk's strong mm -hmm. the limbs yep the branches will be strong I, once I that tree trunk that. is just i love using that analogy yeah and like it, once that's gone and that's part of the reason why my back um collapsed by the time i was 26 was because i was so you know i've always big chest big shoulders i, th I thought i was I thought I was doing what I needed to do for my body. And I just realized that like, yeah, I was strong in some regard, but as a whole, I was very, very weak mm -hmm. and just getting re kind of in touch with my nervous system has made all of that so much more efficient, you know, not just with the lifts, but the, re the recovery as well. Cause you're able to calm your body down easier. You know, I use nervous system training. Uh, were you going to say something? Uh, you can go first. Cause I'm, I'll bring this up in a little. Don't worry, I won't forget. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I saw you from like the screen that you want to say something, but um, no, I love I love the fact the way you use nervous system training. It uh, it's it's a sustain it's a way to teach sustainable fitness uh, because, like, mm -hmm. the idea of going and say, oh man, I have an appointment at five o'clock with a trainer. I'm gonna like I'm already tired from a long day of work, and then not only I'm gonna like I'm gonna get get pushed at really difficult, really hard during that workout. And you're like, okay, then I'll be super tired. Like workouts don't need to be superly exhausted. Like they don't have to be exhausting for them to be effective. They do need to challenge you. They need, no, they, they, ju need they, they just need to be, they, they just need to be quality. They need to be quality. They need to challenge you. And I, and I, uh, I'll tell clients like, like you, when you when you learn how to breathe properly, like you have, you learn to find find sustainable workouts where you challenge yourself, but you build recovery. And it's like running a marathon. You don't have the have a marathon runner take off and bolt on their like their first mile because they're gonna be exhausted. They find a pace. So uh, breathing helps you find a really strong pace. I also like using nervous system training when it comes to heavy heavy lifting, where it's prepping the body to understand that. Well, that's that's because that's that's all it is. That's all nervous system. Yeah. You know, like any. Any one to three rep max, that's 
you're moving away from mus- from, from just muscular system now. You're de- you're depending on structural integrity at that point and, and snappiness. And know? that's where I think uh, my wife has heard me a lot talk about it because she 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 wants to do powerlifting competitions and and I tell her like you need to when you start training your nervous system, it needs to understand that you're putting yourself in a place where like I need to lift weight heavy. And there's different ways to expose it. With you don't you don't have to expose it with like oh you just need to do a, a one rep max right now. No, you have you you expose it through tempo. You expose it through um, through quarter reps, isometrics. isometrics. You, yeah, you ex- yeah. you expose it to yeah through isometrics. Like one thing I really love doing on uh, on benches, loading up the bar with a lot of weight. No, a weight that's heavier than you've ever done, but that you know that you can unrack yourself. Yep. Have a spotter and just hold that weight on the unrack position, and then re-rack it again, and then go back to lower weight. And that lower weight is gonna be incredible because. Nervous system went to like, holy cow, I got to prep myself. I got to get all these muscle fibers because the body is trying to do this this weight that I've never done. But then you switch it and then you go lighter and you're like, what? Yeah. Well, so that just reminded me real quick. Um, there's, there's something that Bruce Lee used to do. And obviously Bruce Lee was all calisthenics, right? Mm-hmm. He mastered his body weight to as much as a person can. Yeah. But what he would do sometimes, and I started doing this with some of my clients, is exactly what you just said, <clears throat> is when you do it, when you do a, a bench press, like I have a big chest, so I can press heavy to a point. Mm-hmm. But if my lats, my glutes, my core, my feet, if everything else isn't in play, I will always bench less than what I look like I can do. Yeah. So Bruce Lee used to do a little thing where he'd take like a, a like a Swiss ball, like a yoga ball, and you just basically squeeze it really tight like a peck fly, get your sternum turned on, and you do about a 20-second hold, and then you let go, and he would just fly through push-ups. Wow. So there's been a few times where I've tried it, and I've tried it with some clients where I'm like, hey, we're going to do a set of plyo push-ups. I need you to go off the box, give me two claps, and land soft. And they're looking at me like, what the hell? You know, because they're tired. They've been benching and stuff. I'm like, no, you can do it. But I said, before, we're going to squeeze. I think I had them do a balance disc one day. So they just do this really shaky like hold mm-hmm. for about 20 seconds. And then I had them do a set of 15 plyo pushups and they were just sailing on them. And they looked at me like, I don't get it. Like, because we're not thinking about the muscle anymore. We're not, we're not thinking about the aesthetics, the contraction. We're thinking about how quick your nervous system can develop power right now. So when we, it's that, that, that fight or flight, right? When you're squeezing, you're shaking, your brain's, getting agitated, your heart's going up, there's a lot of things waking up, and then you all of a sudden let go of that modality mm-hmm. and then hit the ground running. It's a whole different ball game, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll put out there, I've been a very difficult client with Luis, and it's because it's always more <laughs> difficult to coach your significant other. But, oh, it, but it freaking or works. Fa- or family members. Yeah. It works. I was yeah. plateaued. I could not get past 120. I was had a reputation at one of the gyms that we would go to of, you know, getting stuck underneath a barbell. And then last <laughs> week I finally was able to You've hit 135 there. and I was like, "Okay, shoot, this works." I insulted you. I'm kind of sorry about it. I don't regret saying the things <laughs> I said, but shoot, this works. Oh. You know what I tell my clients? I just say it's hate me all you want cuz it's short-term hate, long-term love. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because there'll be a day when you'd be like, you know what? I hated you in the moment, but it made sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the sum up of like almost every relationship with a client that that sticks with you and sees sees the results and they like they reap the rewards. Uh, there's like one specific well, client I, I'm thinking of right now that it's, you guys practically fight, but shoot, 
the progress is real. And he trusts you. He trusts you're going to take him there. He just needs to kind of complain a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think working with significant others, because it's the same with, with me and Rachel, you know, she's not big into fitness, but she, if she wants to, like, if she's like, hey, I need to lose 10 pounds, she can just go do it. She'll just flip that switch and just go do it. Like when she was off at basic training in tech school, she came back all shredded and I'm just sitting here like looking at myself. I'm like, okay, well, clearly I'm not as disciplined, but she's like, no, I'm just this way because there is nothing better to do except work out like three three times a day. I'm like, oh. She's in the military, right? Well, I wish I could just flip that switch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's actually, um, she's in Texas at the moment. She's in there for two weeks doing some job training stuff, but. Nice. um, Yeah, but I think, you know, like I train my parents twice a week and I love them to death, but my mom's always just trusted me. You know, she's like, all right, because I'm her baby. You know, I'm the, I'm the baby of the family. She's like, okay, sweetie, you just tell me what to do. And my dad trained her for years. You know, after, after she had me, my mom's about 5'1". She's about 100 pounds. Dude, your mom is not 5'1". You're tall. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I'm the milkman's kid. I don't what? Know. But <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she's about 5'1", 100, maybe 102 pounds, 103. But when she got pregnant with me, I think she... She got up to like 150 or something. And basically, I remember, I think she said she was like a day past due or something with me. And my dad told her, he said, just go outside and start stacking firewood. So she did. And the water broke. But so it's like, I've always just been like, I've always been a mom's boy. And my dad always trained her. Like he got her to lose all the baby weight after all three kids. But she's never doubted my coaching and nor has dad but when you're the youngest of the family and you're working with your dad who used to be who was a freak when he was younger you know he was a fireman butcher he ran seven miles he benched 440 he was and he's like five eight five nine you know but to get him to kind of come down to earth and be like hey you know like in the in this gym i'm not really your son i i am your coach and i need you to just just trust me like i know you're in pain He's got, you know, a plethora of injuries from being a butcher since he was, he's been cutting meat since he was eight or nine years old, you know, that's all he's ever done. So I finally, you know, it it goes back to the pain thing. When someone realizes their pain can actually start to dissipate, they start trusting you more. And that's kind of what happened. I started working with some of his elbow, shoulder, hips, you name it. But then he comes and he's like, yeah, you know, but I did... I did my stretches at home this morning that you told me to do. And I'm like, hallelujah. That's all I want is that, you know, two hours a week with me is not going to get you where you need to go. So you need to make it a habit of doing some of this stuff that I prescribe, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you're, you're my dad. I love you, but you're kind of difficult at the same time. So I need you to just like, just do it. Yeah. And that's it. Because each, each day that passes, that's a day you've lost. And that's how I just explain it to people is you can always start Monday but you won't start Monday and that's just not how it happens. You know, you got to start now and get uncomfortable. I think the other thing is like the amount of time I got, you just said like two time, two hours a week with me isn't going to cut it. I mean, uh, if I were to go back to your, to your client, the one that had scoliosis, frozen shoulder, worked with Casey, then worked with you, like in order for you to have seen the progress that you saw, like how many sessions were you training her? Like how many hours was she putting in with you? Plus how many hours was she putting in by herself with her, the stretches or mm-hmm. what was it? 
I've, I've found in my experience that three days a week is kind of ideal mm. depending on the age and the goals of the person. Um, you know, I got like my, my kick-ass female group that I see Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 6 a.m. There's three of them and the age from, f- what, 42, 36, and 22. And um, they're just go-getters, man. Like they just get after it. You know, but, um, I don't know. It's just, I, I think, I don't know, trying to drawing a blank, (laughs) but like it just, it one time a week, I feel like it's how much are you investing outside of that 45 minutes? Yeah. I feel like it's the one, everybody's like, Oh, I can do one time a week. Usually it's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, once a week I see it as like a good check-in because if people are people aren't doing anything, it's like, oh, I've had a r- rough week of work. It's like, yeah, you and millions of other people. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it, you know, you could have ten minutes to yourself a day, and you could make an effective effective workout. I've noticed it's, just, it's the busiest people that seem because they have a structure. We actually talked to, um, we talked to Doris about it. Of like, the busier your structure is, and you have to make fitness work. It shows like you're willing to make it a priority. But you know. I'm yeah. sure you're going to have a million excuses and as harsh as it sounds, it comes down to, do you actually want it? And it might take that rock bottom mm-hmm. and pain for a lot of people is rock bottom. Yeah. And I, I mean, I tell people like, you know, just cause you hired a trainer or a coach doesn't mean you have it figured out, you know, like let's, let's talk, you know, after six months, let's see how, how you feel then and everything. But, um, you know, once a week is kind of like, it's a good check-in. I'm going to kick your butt, but it, there's only so much I can talk about and cover and everything. So that's really tough. Mm-hmm. Twice a week is pretty good, but you really have to expect that they will do at least two days on their own, you know, or at least one, you know, three days a week for any general population. That's fine. As long as they're quality workouts. But if you're going and sitting at the gym for 90 minutes and your heart rate's not doing anything, you're just wasting time, you yeah. know? So I think three days, ideally, if I could see everybody five days a week, obviously I would, you know, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> how about, how about it's clients? a lot, man. It's a lot. Yeah, really. And it's a lot. I mean, I've had clients I, I, where I've seen them I've, four times a week and sometimes I'm like, all right, man, I've seen you four times a week for the last four months. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of, yeah. a lot of bonding. Time. And, really, and, and you know, at, at that point, like one, one thing I preach to clients when I sign them up, I have my three C's, I call them, which is commitment communication and consistency Ooh, I like and I just that. tell them you know in order in order for any of this to work you have to be open with me you need to talk to me you know like if you need to cancel a session like give me some notice you know mm-hmm. don't know show me because that's just going to show me your level of commitment um and I just tell them like you know this is a 50 50 relationship you didn't hire me to do work for you you know, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm your support system. But if you're not giving me half, at least I'm not going to reciprocate. And, and I think in the beginning, when you're a coach, you're getting your foot in the door, you're going to do everything you can, you'll bend, you'll bend over backwards for clients that don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. We've all been there, you know, and I'm glad I did it at the time, because it, 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 it's all a building block to where I am now. But I think when you get to a point professionally, where you're like, hey, I hate to break it to you, but like, you're just not, I'm going to have to let you go because you're just, there's a lot more deserving people of my time 
that want this more and you're just not meeting those standards. And I think I've only had to do it to two people in over eight years, which I'm proud of, but those people, it threw them for a loop. Mm-hmm. Like they thought I was never going to call them on their BS. And I just said, no, man, like this is my time too. Whether or not you're paying me, I don't enjoy taking people's money just for them to put forth half effort, mm-hmm. you know, cause my, cause their, their results and their, their enjoyment of my coaching is my reputation. Right. Did- you know, so I don't want to work with, I don't want to work with somebody over and over and over again who there's just always these little excuses and they're like, Oh, I just, they do this sort of like reverse psychological thing where it's sort of deflecting it to you. Like, like you failed somehow. So I've, you know, one conversation years ago with a client, I just said, okay, well, who made your dinner last night? You did. Did I drink your water for you? No. Did I go to the gym for you? No. Be like, I can only control what happens when you are with me in this one hour. You know, and it's like, I'll help you outside of here, but I can't. I, I can't make magic out of bad habits. So the three C's really just like tell people, you know, I'm not, I'm not a starting trainer. I am established and I'm very serious about what I do. So if you can at least understand that and meet me halfway, then like you're good finding another trainer. Like I have no qualms with that. That's totally up to you. But I think that the, the longer we coach, and for you guys too, having your own thing now, um, you have to set a standard for people. Otherwise, people walk all over you and your reputation becomes this like muddled thing in the fitness industry and nobody wants that, you know. We've had to learn, like definitely set the expectations early. So we started telling people, you know, the first month you're going to be with us is going to feel really slow and you're going to be like, oh, but I want to mm-hmm. see results now and it's that would be doing you a disservice because one, we want to see where you're currently at Two, We want to just work on building consistency because you know what? Anyone can trash their body three days in a week. Anyone can write a workout that makes you want to throw up. We see it all the time in CrossFit. Yeah. But there's a difference between planning versus actually executing. And most people I believe can plan perfect, but very few people can actually Mm -hmm. execute consistency. And that's where the coach comes. Yeah. It's one thing it's, it's it's that whole you know adage of like it's it's one thing to say it it's another to do it yeah you know and um yeah i mean it's it's a hard hurdle to get over but it's it is what it is and you have to well a lot you have to make no you have to make no i was just gonna say you have to you have to make you have to make your intentions known right off the bat Mm. and you have to let people know because that like you said that first month six weeks a lot of times that'll be what, where you you keep or lose clients. Yeah. Um, one one really crucial thing, I think you were still working with me at Vasa when we learned this. can't remember who I learned it from, but it might have been FMS actually. But um, it was saying, you know, for something to become habit in the brain, whether it's a physical thing, um, a mental thing, it can take up to 21 weeks. Mm-hmm. So put in perspective, that's five months. So I tell people like, hey, okay, you're 42 years old. You used to ski. You played a lot of tennis. You did this and this and this, right? Well, now you have these injuries. Okay, well, a lot of these injuries come from habitual movement. Whether it be good or bad, you've created habit out of these movements. And usually it's poor movement, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're always forward moving. Posture is the number one killer of all movement, I, I believe. So I tell them, you know, for me to make... 
you know, we're going we're gonna to work into mastering kettlebells. So in order for you to even be familiar with a kettlebell, it's going to take a couple months of drilling it into your brain for your brain to be like, oh, we get it now. Like, your body knows what to expect. And it would be as easy as walking because you've been doing it your whole life. But in no way, shape, or form can you go 30 years on this earth doing one thing and then learn a new skill or unlearn a bad habit in a couple weeks. It's impossible. And for people... To think that, it's just, it, it's unfortunately up to us to, to help them break that thought process. And it's just, it's not always easy, man. You know, especially being like younger trainers, it's kind of like hitting a brick wall sometimes. It is. Uh, and, and with that 21 habit or that 21 weeks of the habit, what I've, uh, what mm -hmm. I'm like trying to express is that's consistency. That's you doing something daily to remind you and get you into, into the pathway. And if we're only doing this twice a week and you're having troubles doing things on your own, that 21 weeks is going to turn into 42 weeks, right? And 42 weeks is almost a whole year. Mm -hmm. And that's like people don't want to hear that. And when they hear that, it's like, oh, well, I'm looking for a coach that's trying to inspire me. No, I am trying to inspire you. And I'm going to try to inspire you through realistic, through a realistic approach where now when you start seeing it you're going to be so stoked because it's now like a part of your life it's not just this like uh boom of excitement of adrenaline like i woke up today i'm gonna get a coach and i'm gonna change my life and and i'm ready to make this change because that's that that's that's like a that's like fuel it's it's gonna burn out eventually we want something else we we we, we want something that it's gonna gonna be part of your life and i gotta tell mm -hmm. you that in the beginning like it's it's got to be laid out in the beginning right when we start so the expectations are there and you're not going into something that you're going to hit a wall by the end and i want to dive deeper into that of you know i've had a few clients where they're looking at me for inspiration and it's like why aren't you giving that to yourself you're talking so badly to yourself that you're expecting me to be the one that's constantly inspiring you. And you know what? I can tell you when you're doing great, but you know, it's going to be an honest comment. If you're doing kettlebell swings, you look like a dog pooping the entire time. I'm not <laughs> going to say you're doing great. I'm going to back you up and be like, Hey, we need to readjust something here. If you're doing push-ups and you're coning like crazy, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're doing great, sweetie. No, I'm going to regress you. So that no. way we can actually make sure you're moving properly. But this expectation of I have to constantly tell you how great you're doing, like, no, you tell yourself that. Like, maybe yeah, have a and conversation and talk to your spouse, but I'm here to make sure you're moving safely. It's not part of my job to constantly say you're doing great, sweetie. No, and that's the thing that is like we aren't here to coddle people. We're not here to just tell people like, you know, oh, like, I know you've had a bad day. Like, it's okay. But, and I even get caught doing that sometimes because like, you know, we're, we're sympathetic and empathetic by nature. Right. So if someone's like, oh, it's been a rough day, this and that. I'm like, all right, well, we'll, we'll take it easy today. When in my mind, it's like, I'm not going to take it easy. I'm going to regress their workout a bit, but it's still going to be very effective for them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think just, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. That's just the way it is, but I tell people in my morning group, one of my clients, she always, she always thinks that I'm trying to like dig at her. You know, it's, it's a very much a, a kidding thing back and forth, but I'm like, Hey, you know, your swings look good, but you had a little separation before the bell swung. So I need you to just tighten that up a little bit. She's like, so it looks like crap. I go, that's not what I said. <laughs> I said, I will always follow positive re or always follow critique with positive reinforcement. 
But if I don't critique, I'm doing you a disservice because you're always going to look like crap when you're doing that. And for all I know, you might come to a session one day like, oh, my, my back is tweaked. I don't know what I did. And I'm going to know is because your, your kettlebell swings were bad. Swings. But it's like, so I told her one morning, I said, you know, you got to understand, I like having fun with you guys. I like joking around. And obviously, I encourage you. But there will be times when your workout isn't great. There will be times when I'm, I'm frustrated because you're not quite listening to what I'm trying to convey to you and that you're just, you're just going balls to the wall. So I'm like, you might not like me some days, but if I do not cover these bases, I shouldn't be a coach. That's the reality of it. And like, I'm even the same way. Like this, you know, I'm, I still compare myself to other people. I still maybe skip a warm up sometimes. It's just, we're human, you know, I'm far from perfect, but it's all a learning process. You know, I'm 35. I'm still learning things like little nuances about my body and stuff that to me, it's fascinating because, you know, my yeah. whole, my whole approach to, to training myself has sort of shifted over the last 10 years just because of injuries, knowledge, um, you know, opening my, my whole world up to kettlebells has changed everything, you know? So, um, mm. yeah, I think people just need to understand that like, that's what we are. We're coaches. We're not, they didn't hire us to pat them on the back, you know, yeah. that's not, that's not what we do. Obviously we want to lead by example and want them to look forward to training with us, but they need to understand that like they hired a coach because they need one. They need someone to coach and critique. So we got to keep that in mind, you know? So I want to, I'm going to pivot for a second because yeah. this is an interesting thing we noticed. We've seen at a few gyms of, you know, when there are competing coaches say there might be a skill they're working on of, you know, they're slowly learning how to, you know, pack in those shoulders for a deadlift, but it's more important that they learn how to like breathe through it or whatever. And another coach unrelated will come and start critiquing and be like, oh yeah, your coach isn't that good. And you are very much the type of person of you believe in collaboration. So it's how have you been able to kind of, whether it's just, you know, not dealing with it, but how have you, I guess, dealt with competing coaches? Like when, you know, client stealing and ego, cause that can be an issue. Once you step outside of, you know, the corporate world and you start to go more independent, we've heard yep. of a few coaches where it's like, shoot, like there's, yeah. there is client stealing. Luckily we haven't had it too much, but I don't think we've had any so in our experience, but we've seen it. Yeah. You know, like Let's see. I started originally at 24 hour in Taylorsville. I was there very short because this, the structure and the pricing just wasn't realistic, you know. Um, but I in the big box gyms, I never really noticed that as much, and that's because and like you know, Luis, you can attest to this, especially at Vasa. When Vasa came to Utah, it was a whole different animal than what it turned up to be. It turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the trainers you would see at Vasa were like greenhorns you know they're including myself it was trainers that were just trying to like just get the ball rolling just build a clientele get get a reputation so I never really saw the whole petty like undercutting until I went independent and there's been times where you know someone showed me a video or someone's like oh you know like my friend has a has a trainer and like he he told her to do this or this and this and I'm like okay I need context because that doesn't sound right. But I think there's only been one time where I'm just like, sounds like your friend might need a new coach. 
you know, because like yeah. I don't know the person. Like I'm, I can't. I, I'm not just gonna be like, you know, this person's trash. For all I know, maybe they're good at coaching certain modalities or a certain way of training, and maybe for that client, it was just a total disconnect. So, but at, you know, I've seen a little bit of the um, unnecessarily like competing and like talking to other people's clients. Like, hey, you know, like if if like this person's not meeting your needs, like hit me up. You know, and thankfully I've only yeah. seen it a few times, but when it does happen, I'm just like, you're clearly, anyone who does that regardless has insecurities. If you're going to go out of your way to try to undercut or like somewhat sabotage another trainer or anybody for that matter, like you have some personal stuff you need to deal with. But, you know, this goes back to like the social media thing. Social media is such a double-edged sword because it allows so much good information to be shared and so many good trainers and, and, you know, just athletes and stuff to share their knowledge, like Squat University, prime example. But there's so much room for misinformation and people getting on there that look really good and that maybe know how to train themselves really good, but don't know shit about training and coaching Someone other people. Else. Yeah. And that's no, where think... it's like... Go ahead. I think that's where the there's just a huge flaw uh, between the social media trainers versus the actual in-person trainers, uh, and then also the big box trainers. Um, I mean, my exper- my experience started there at Vasa with you, uh, and I felt nothing but support. And I remember had so when it was really cool because it it all started with kind of like Casey who. Um, approached me about becoming a trainer, and I was like, I never thought of this. And then she got transferred and moved to Colorado, like, yeah, a, about no, a, a not month. Not long after. No yeah. long after. It was like a month of, like, right where she was kind of, like, giving me that encouragement. Um, but I wasn't sure. And I, and I remember I was front desk, and I would go up talk to you guys a few times. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But, you know, then later, later Ashley, who I, I, I freaking love because I still have a really good friendship with her. She's awesome. Good. She, yeah, good. and she helped me – go through the internship, find the certification, all those things. And then I was in the process of moving from Salt Lake all the way down to Pleasant Grove. And it was like, okay, well, you're, you're now certified. You've passed the internship. Now you got to choose where you want to start training. And I remember like I was a little bit, I was like, okay, well, it took a 40-minute drive to get here. But I feel so much support between Larry, Chad, and I'm gonna throw Zach in there too, although yeah, oh him yeah. and I, I him and I never shared the same training hour because he was an he was an evening trainer, yeah. um, and I was a morning trainer. But Zach was a big influence of why I was like I can do this because he was we were the same age, and I was like if he can be a trainer, I can be a trainer. And then as I was going through the internship and shadowing you and shadowing Chad and and seeing like you guys would help each other during a session. He had a client, you had a client, uh, and you we would kinda, help him. Pow-wow. Yeah, you helped him, and he would help you. And there was nothing like, "Why are you helping me? Like, why are you stepping in my zone? Like, you know, no, I've like, had a lot of experience. It was, it was, it was such genuine support. And that's, and I was like, I loved it. And I was like, No, you know what? I am willing to drive the forty minutes to train at this gym and stay here because I want that support and I want it. And I remember when I eventually did leave because the drive was getting to me. I was getting yeah. busier in school, and I went to a new gym. I didn't see that at all. No, and it was I, hard. I, I, will, I, I will say, man, I think, and I've told people about this since you know I left Vasa December of 2018. Um, but I still tell people we had something so special at that club, 
And, um, you know, Renee, I'm sure you've, you've heard a lot about it, but we were a single A club, one of the smallest, <clears throat> smallest Vasas in really a facility that wasn't that nice. And we had a trainer cage that was upstairs out of the public eye, had no business being there. But no one saw it. <laughs> nobody saw it unless they wanted to sign up for training. So it was like, but some for some reason, I think it was like six or eight months, we outproduced every core club in Vasa, which was 17 clubs, I think. Mm-hmm. And pe- that's why they started sending in corporate people. They were like, well, what do you, you know, you guys are, you only have what, four trainers. I was doing about 220 sessions a month. Ross was doing 220 to 240. Chad was doing about 200. Hunter, Zach, and then yeah. when you came, you finally came in. Yeah, the, I got the, to the point that I was doing like one hundred and fifty. Oh yeah, about, yeah, like about we were we were doing stupid amounts of volume Numbers. and making no money, but <laughs> at the same time we had such a good culture there, and Vasa knew it, and they knew that we didn't play by the book, and that's exactly yeah. why they disbanded us. And it was really unfortunate yeah. because we were proving to the corporation that while you have a good template. There's nothing wrong with your template. It all comes from CFSC and this and that. It doesn't, it, it's a good starting point, but it's not a be all end all because our jobs as good coaches is to personalize and progress, mm-hmm. you know? So that was all. We kind of took the skeleton of it and we worked off of it, but they stopped bugging us for a while because our numbers were perfect. So it was like, okay, let us do our thing. You guys run the other clubs. But when it, when they started seeing like, okay, they're, they, they're doing something we're not, yeah. It was really, pretty much it was really sad because, yeah, it was really sad because I remember when I left and then I just started seeing it kind of fall apart because oh, fast it, was that ti- it, it was that time period. It was that time where they, 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 they started coming at it like, okay, let's put our eyes more on, on, on the breakyard location. Let's see. And then it was like, well, they're bringing numbers, but we're not really, they're not following our, our structure or our thing. And, like, dang, well, and their, their thing was, you know, I would have thought it would have been cool if they brought maybe head trainers from other locations to sort of shadow but what they did instead was they sent Hunter somewhere and then they wanted to send someone else somewhere. And I'm like, well, you're, you're picking apart like our dream team mm-hmm. and you're breaking down this whole, this whole like culture we've built and our clients were unhappy. And, you know, going back to the thing with Chad and we still do this cause he and I train in the same room at universal swell. We know each other's clients. Well, we're always feeding off. Like he has one client who's coming back from a torn Achilles and then, he had another client who she had uh, strained an adductor um, when she was out camping or something. So hmm. there's no ego. Like he'll be like, hey, hey, Larry, you know, so-and-so, she's dealing with this today and I've been having her work on this. And I'm just like, okay, well, have you guys tried this? And like the clients love that because they're like, oh, I'm getting yeah. two trainers. And like there's no ego. And regardless, there's just there's this constant like good information coming out and and when there's no egos and you can coexist like that, like beautiful things can happen, you know? And you guys are running your own independent business. Like you're on your own independent side and he's on his own independent side. It's not like you're working together now because we were under the same umbrella. Uh, So I think that's super cool that you've kept that culture. Uh, I, man, I, I remember I would be so fascinated uh, by Chad. Like I would have, I would have an, uh, what they called like a fit session was like the free session. So I'd have a client, I'd bring him up yeah. and then I'm running through something and Chad would be like, cause he knew I was new and like, I wanted, I wanted him to help me and be like, Hey Luis, I want, I want you to look, look at this. Look. And he wouldn't tell me immediately. He'd be like, look at where her ankles doing during, during this assessment. And I'll look at him like, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I was like, what are you doing? It's, it's moving. And then no, he would, he would like, 
tell me like look at it a little bit closer watch this and then he'd be like i think there's an issue running up down her 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 her, her chain where like her glutes aren't activated and he'd say hey tr- try having her do this move and see what she feels or or he or whatever and i would and he was like on point with everything and uh, i was like wow how do you see this how do your eyes are able to visualize all this and then I wanted to just learn that, and that's really been a huge thing now, where I have to watch the balance. Where I feel like I owe, like I'm too picky, and I'm okay. I gotta balance it back. I gotta recognize that this client just wants to move well, feel good. They're not an athlete, so I need to start recognizing where am I being too picky at? What's the most important? Let's get this down first, and then readdress it. But I've, I built that because of of that how you how helpful it was. He was, and you were, and. Um, even like even creating, creating uh, uh, being creative. Like remember the ghetto sled. <laughs> the ghetto sled. I was talking about that the other day. The ghetto. What sled. is the ghetto sled for the rest so, of us? You you know we didn't those, have a turf. Uh, just like the yeah we didn't have a turf, and we didn't have a sled upstairs. And I was I was tired of it. I you know I'm like, there's got to be a way we can do a sled up here. So we had you know the power block dumbbells, the interchangeable ones. Mm-hmm. They ours went up to like ninety pounds, and yeah, you, you know those like white skills sliders that slide really well on like all floors, all, all floor what surfaces. Okay, yeah. yeah, 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 like the yellow athletic ones. So yeah. I, and they would clip together. So I'd get four <laughs> of them, and I'd clip them all in this like diamond thing, and I'd put two power blocks on, or I'd just lay two forty-five pound plates on, and I just have people slide it all over the floor, and I called it, you know, I called it the trailer races in the beginning. I love that, and. And I called it the ghetto sled because like we were just making do with what we had, but it was very effective. And it was, that's a whole other thing. Like being a trainer is like, it's one thing being thrown into a a facility like Excel where it's everything under the sun that you can think of. You, you can't even add anything, but I think you become a better coach and a more creative coach when you're given very limited resources. Mm -hmm. And when you can master a small space and very little equipment then, you know, once you're given a, a toolbox, the sky's the limit, you know. But, um, yeah, man, we, we, we had some fun up in that cage at Vasa for sure. It's a good time. <laughs> it was. I feel like I see the opposite side because I helped open up a gym out here. And it was on the opposite end of, like, aesthetically, this oh, is yeah. a freaking beautiful commercial oh, yeah. gym you walked in and it just it shined it glistened it was giant it was a mil- over a million dollar uh, uh, culture was terrible and even just saying the two things you brought up is insecurity and ego being the downfall of culture and i i think of like different facilities i've been at of training of okay where was the ego and where was the insecurity and it's you can't force a culture like it's either there or it isn't Mm -mm. and it's really sad it's like one person or even one idea can crumble something like it takes a long time to build trust and it takes a moment to break it oh in an instant you know and it's like it's like when i worked in the restaurant industry and i use the restaurant industry because it's a very dysfunctional place you know um (laughs) oh yeah Restaurants and gyms are a lot alike in the fact that this might be a little too much information, but you start seeing a trend where like all the workers are kind of like sleeping with each other and there's drama 
and all this crap. And you see it a lot in the fitness industry where trainers mm-hmm. sleep with clients or this and that. And it just, it, it creates, it affects everybody. Yeah. And in the good restaurants I've been in, we worked really well because we all got along. We were friends. The places where it didn't work out, it was the exact opposite. There were egos and there was, you know, people, people dishing out of work and throwing shifts on other people or throwing people under the bus so they'd have to work more. And it's like the same thing in the fitness industry. Like you got to surround yourself. And that's why like, you know, if, if Chad and I can finally find a place this year, um, Zach was one of the ones we actually talked to and he was kind of on board, but he and his, uh, his wife just got a house up North. So, which is totally cool. I'm happy for him. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I know that once he and I go, we'll be fine because we, you know, he and I have worked, I think six years together now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know exactly what to expect. I know how he coaches. I know what kind of space he needs. I know his clients and it would just be such a seamless transition, you know, whereas if I decided to stop being independent, went, went to another nice big box gym Maybe in the long run it'd be cool, but I think in the beginning I would just be like, well, this sucks. Like, I feel like I've regressed, you know? Yeah. It just makes me think of the Avengers when they tried to make Iron Man and Captain America work together and they just, you know, butted heads the entire time till it turned yeah. into Civil War. Absolutely. Luis it's doesn't get that, thing. but it's okay. <laughs> well, no, it's true. Because I don't. I'm not, I'm, not a super, I, I'm not a superhero uh, uh, watcher of, of movies, so I have no idea what... I... I mean, I watched all the Avengers movies naturally, but, um, but no, it is this thing. It's like when you take like two superstars and you'd be like, here, coexist, work together. Yeah. How often does that happen? You know? No, it doesn't. Dude, it's, it's really awesome to hear, uh, like that you two still work together. There's plans in the future for a location there. There's not enough education for, for, for trainers to know how to like move from a big box gym to independent and then open a location uh there's we're trying to figure that out yeah we're we ourselves are trying to figure that out i mean like we you're in the in the in the fitness industry you're taught to get a certification go find a big box gym uh put in a ridiculously amount of hours become Mm -hmm. very very underpaid and search certifications so your percentage gets higher but the, the the balance of searching certifications and all the hours you put in plus like the the the, the living wage, like how, what it costs to live, it just doesn't all balance out. And at one point, you do have to go to independent, and it's there's no no one taught you that. Like your 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 coaches in the in the big box don't teach you how to do that because they obviously don't want you to go independent. But they'll make sure that you know you're replaceable. Yeah, yeah. So 100%. I think it's so awesome that you yeah. that you've gone through it. Like you've learned you've learned how to become independent, and now 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 there's there's even bigger stuff in the future. Yeah, you know, and I I think. And I'll still have the scary thing about being independent is like, well, one of the nice things is like, you can, you make your schedule, you go on vacation when you want to go on vacation, you just accept the fact that whenever you're gone, that's money out of your pocket. Cause you know, we don't, so we only get paid you. when we're training. So, mm-hmm. you know, but being independent is nice. Like, you know, you can, you can talk with clients like I'm leaving for a week, this and that, and clients will be cool. And they're a lot more. You know, like I had a couple of clients leave for a few weeks on a trip and one of them paid me like their whole month in advance, which I didn't ask, but it's just because they appreciate it and they know where their money's going. They know their money's not going 60, 70% to a gym and that I'm just going to get the scraps, you know? So <clears throat> while being independent, 
can be scary at times, you know, especially if you're, you're dropping a few clients, people are kind of just moving on with life, whatever you start having that panic. Like, well, when I was at Vasa, I had this endless funnel of clients, potential clients, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're like really relying on referrals or I've fortunately, I've never had to market myself in eight years. It's always been referrals or being fed clients at Vasa, you know? Yeah. But there are times, no matter how experienced you are, where you're going to have a lull, where you're going to be like, well, shoot, I haven't had like a new client in a few months. Um, am I doing something wrong, whatever? And I've, I've been like that the last couple months, but, you know, I get a text from my PTA and she's sending me two clients. So I'm like, whenever things seem a little dicey, there's, there's always a door opening. And I know that sounds super cliche, but it's tends to be pretty true, you know? So I really wouldn't trade it for the world, even though it can be a little stressful at times. I think that's that's how it goes when it comes to most progress, whether it's, you know, you're lightening your hair, you're making a new business venture is there's a time where you kind of have to almost embrace the suck. It's going to get ugly. And, you know, that ugliness doesn't mean that you're not making progress. If anything, it's going to make that success feel that much more special. But it's there's going to be times you have to embrace the suck. Well, and it goes back to what we talked about with like injury prevention and stuff. I, I have to explain to people, part of the healing process is discomfort and pain. You need to, as human beings, and obviously there's a fine line. I don't want people to be in agonizing pain, but you got to understand that like to get through pain, you have to experience it. You have to mm-hmm. know what something feels like so you can work around it. Whereas like, you know, go get a cortisone shot. I had one client that recently went and got a cortisone shot in her knee. She's facing a possible knee replacement, but she's, she's in her fifties. She was, she's been hypermobile her whole life. She was a dancer. So she just naturally has some broken down knees. And, um, the day, the day before she's going to get the injection, she told me, she said, I hope I don't regret this. I said, well, we'll work around it. We'll see what we can do. And the method of the injection or what the doctor was hoping was that it would create some space, gap the knee a little bit, you know, maybe take some pressure off that meniscus or what's left of it. Yeah. And all, what it ended up doing was gapping her knee way, way too much because she's already so mobile um, to where Ooh, she could barely stand. Cringy. Yeah. So she could barely stand. Oh. She could barely walk. And we've been working for the last probably five to six weeks getting out of that. And the shot is finally wearing off and lo and behold, she's starting to feel better. And I'm like, mm-hmm. You know, but the whole time we're working through that, she couldn't feel her whole knee, which is really like nerve wracking for me because I'm like, okay, I'm taking a mobile joint that shouldn't be mobile. Mm. I'm having to release all the quad muscles, look at the tibial muscles, everything, because I don't want anything to cinch up on it. And uh, it's tough when when people can't tell you like, oh, that hurts or I feel it here. Like Mm. you need to have you need physical feedback from people, you know, you need that neural feedback, that pain feedback. And without it, it's really hard to, to rehab. It's hard to prevent injury. If you can't know what to feel for, if that makes sense. I want, I want to add to that. Uh, not only makes it really difficult, but it's also makes it difficult if they don't recognize that, that, that pain, because there's, there's times that where you're going to wor- you're gonna work out or you're, you're going to recover, you're going to go through rehab, and you're going to go through movements that do have pain. But there's pain that's going to, like, put you down, re-injure you, make things worse, and there's pains that, are, that you have to recognize. 
and kind of push through it. And it honestly goes back to a little bit of that nervous system training because your nervous system goes through a moment where it this this almost engages or disadapts from that area and when you bring it back to some movement it is painful. We we've talked about like Renee went through a time of her life where she was in a wheelchair uh, because of her autoimmune disorders wow. and she had to learn how to rewalk and just getting on her feet to rewalk was painful but she had to do it and the physical therapist when they're like yeah don't like walk through it so you can re-injure yourself it's like no i'm like you're gonna take a few steps it's gonna hurt and then we're gonna take a break and then you're gonna take three or four more steps and then we're gonna take a break and it's pain that you have to go through in order for her to walk again and the same thing is with rehab and i find it that a, a Clients do have a difficult time recognizing it. They get scared. They're like, I'm feeling pain. Okay, well, just trust it. I can, I can, if, if, if it's, if it's, a, if that's, it's where that, that's where that fight or flight kicks in, you know, they want to yeah. run it, you know. And knowing that not all pain is equal. Yeah. It's understanding no. a different type of pain. And, you know, there's the body acts within self-preservation mentally and physically for a reason. It wants to protect you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those acts of self-preservation are actually what hurts you more. How many people... We'll use the example of, you know, when someone gets into a car accident, who's more likely to get more injured? The person that is drunk behind the wheel or the person who's sober? And more likely, and this (laughs) isn't me saying to, you know, drink behind the wheel. Please don't do that (laughs) for obvious reasons. But it's the person who is sober because they're tensed up, they're clenching, and that impact is going to hit. The the drunk person's always relaxed. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the whole point is those, those nerves are just blah. Yep. And when you're like that, you just, you won't feel as much, you know, and, um, once more, yeah, so this is not me saying to go and drink and drive. <laughs> don't be an idiot. Yeah. We no, don't need a lawsuit no. here. We're don't free. be an idiot. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, sadly we live in a time where we have to make that clear, but yeah, common, common um, sense isn't, isn't oh, so common anymore. Um, there is one thing I want to pick on. I feel like I should say this because I am the MILF. Um, because I talk about female <laughs> pelvic floors all of the time, but you just said yeah, a broad sentence. Should. So confirmation, males, you have pelvic floors too. So like, you know, how does a male, how does a male know what the, what is their pelvic floor? What is that? So <laughs> when I try to I teach, like to ask hard questions. When I, when I try to teach men how to breathe into their pelvic floor, they just, I don't know. They're like, I don't, I don't get it. So I, Basically, I just have someone lay flat on their back and they just kind of, they'll prod like in it, like inside their, um, like their hip bone down into like way deep mm-hmm. psoas. And I just teach them like, try to breathe into your fingers. And they just, takes a few, you know, long deep breaths and all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, wait. And they'll find this like little pulse, you know. And I'm like, hey, you're still not on the pelvic floor. But it's a start, <laughs> you know. Men especially, women are much better abdominal breathers, diaphragmatic breathers. I think just anatomically and I think a lot of it goes into that like that women are built for for childbirth right so mm-hmm. when you're in labor and stuff at least to my knowledge your doctor is not going to have you breathing a lot through your chest you're, you're going to be you're, when you're going to your classes and stuff before you have the baby you're going to focus on abdominal breathing spacing and trying to make that baby as comfortable as possible right well with men you think like women hold their power or their center of gravity, rather, in their hips. They're really strong from the center out, typically. And pound for pound, females, in my experience, are stronger. Um, Men are upper torso. That's where we have most of our size. That's where we like to build most of our size because it's just those gland muscles. 
but very few men that I've noticed actually have control over anything below their belly button. And that's where you'll get these big guys that, and Luis, you've seen it too, you see big jack guys at the gym who should be able to lift more than they're lifting. Yeah. Like, that's, that's exactly how I look at it. I'll be like, okay, well, this person's like big and whatnot, but I guarantee internally, especially down by that pelvic floor, they haven't, there's muscles there that are just laying dormant like a volcano down there. Yep. And, and you'll see them with you'll see them with like all the equipment like they're like they're they're they they should they look like they should lift heavy but they're wearing a belt when they shouldn't wear a belt. They're um you know like everything's oh, like wrapped up like elbows like, like, I just want to be like like I just want to be like what so I want to ask people like why are you wearing the belt right now? I'm just curious. And usually I you know people will bench and do everything with a belt on. That's fine. But, you know, like I watched a guy in Vasa one day at the West Valley location. He had 40-pound dumbbells, and he wore a really, really tight leather belt on four sets of incline press. And I'm like, he was doing rep range of 15. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's got like a spine issue I don't know of. But he just, he kind of just came across as like that, that new lifter kind of just wearing the Mm -hmm. gear to fit in which we've all done that. You know, when I started, when I was younger, I wore the gloves and everything. And I just wanted to look the part. But I'm just like, you know, people don't understand, like a belt, straps, everything has its purpose. Um, There's still people that think wearing a belt is cheating. And I'm just like, I don't, okay, I don't understand that thought process at all. (laughs) You know, because you're training a heavy deadlift or squat, you're only as strong as your weakest link, period. Your weakest link being your low back for most people, so hence why we wear the belt, so you can create a pressure pocket, a balloon, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just funny how it's, I, I guess the, the term of this conversation has been disconnect. Like, there's such a, in, in all regards of it, you know? So it's just, I don't know, it's kind I of mean, frustrating I, to see, but. I mean, I'm I, also going to throw out there, when it comes to male public floor, if you're like, why should I, why should I train that? Well, one, it's a huge contributor to sexual function. So if you're someone mm-hmm. who's struggling with erectile dysfunction or maybe just not that satisfying of climaxes, might be something worth looking into, not to mention a plethora of other issues such as issues with bowel movements, incontinence. So just throwing that out there. There are. There's tons. Well, like- one, and here's another thing to think about, like with men too, is like we're all very prone to like prostate cancer and um, and colon cancer too. So I'm just like, you know, Men especially need to start thinking like gut health, pelvic floor health, little things like that. Like Kegels are just just as important for men. Mm-hmm. Like people don't realize it's that they think it's just like they think it's just a, a one thing for women. Just like you know, I'm sure you still like glute bridges. Doing banded glute bridges on the floor. Everybody thinks, oh, this is what women do. I'm like, no. Yeah. But there's a women or there's a reason women have asses, and there's a reason that most women have strong butts too. It's because they train them and because that's literally like their strongest asset. We get caught up training all upper body because that's just naturally where we hold more size, you know? Yeah. Whereas like, I guess like you and Zach being a little shorter stature, you guys have pretty powerful legs too. I've always had legs like Big Bird. So <laughs> therefore it's like, Luis, I don't you do have a biggest... nice booty. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. But I think, you know, we always play to our strengths. And when I try to get guys to start training their like posterior chain or training their booty or whatever they just kind of they almost laugh it off like they're doing a ladies workout i'm like dude 
you have no idea. If you don't have an ass, you don't have a core. Yeah. Like it's just it's how it's gonna work out, and you're gonna have and injuries. If you don't know how to move your hips, and if you don't recognize that, like you're gonna ha- you're, you're gonna struggle, and you're gonna struggle. You're gonna have a bad maybe time. not in the beginning. Yeah, you're not gonna struggle like obviously the big beginning. You're gonna struggle like ten, five, ten years later after all those bad bad habits of not like incorporating that. Wait, um, so you mean my core is more than just having a six pack abs? Imagine what? that, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean a lot of people like that. You're tra- like they don't think that like, your traps and your glutes are both part of your core. Like, and I'm talking about like the highest point and the lowest point. Mm-hmm. They truly are. Like those are those are huge mm-hmm. parts of your core. But um, no, there there is a huge disengagement and. Um, I'm, I am super, super thankful and grateful uh, that you played such a huge influence at the beginning because I don't think and it, it Renee and I talk about this all the time. Like I overvalue this, and she's like, "If you didn't know all these things, like, would you have gone to a trainer that focuses on that?" I'm like, honestly, I probably wouldn't have because it's not what's taught. And this is why, like, we want to do this podcast is strength beyond fitness because it really is more than just raw strength. There's so much to it. And thank, like, thanks to you, thanks to Chad, like, being, I'm a huge advocate in the in the importance of uh, movement quality and uh, just addressing addressing first those areas and those links uh, that are gonna help create just a huge long term long term success within someone's like journey. And I want to throw out there for the trainers listening, an important thing for you to get out of this is it's one thing to be confident, but once you start getting into ego and insecurity, you're going to really limit how much that you're learning, how much that you're progressing. You're never going to hit a level of, yep, I'm good. I'm the master. I'm done. Like always be open to find ways to collaborate with other trainers, collaborate with other professionals. You're never too good to keep learning. Never. Well, and and I think another really important thing with this industry is, Things change. Information changes. You look at the whole rice formula, right? The guy, the guy that created the whole rest, ice, compression, elevation. He came out in 2013, I believe, and he debunked the whole thing. Yeah. Because and he now realized, it's, okay, and well. Now it's when it's getting, uh, it's getting like social media traction where like, although it was back in 2013, it's now where people, especially Squat mm-hmm. University, are saying like, yeah, like you don't have to compress it. You don't have to ice it. You don't have to do that. No, we might like, have to have a future conversation about ice and injury because that's a whole, that's a whole, oh, that's a whole hole. other, yeah, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole. But you know, it's like I was in Montana last, last February of last year and I went to a metal show with some buddies of mine and almost broke my ankle in the mosh pit and, uh, happened right in the middle of the show, but I've sprained my ankle so many times in basketball and stuff over the years. So I was just like, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go sit down. I still had an hour left of the sh- of the concert. I tied my shoe tight and I kept walking around on it. And I was I was hurting, but I was also you know inebriated, so it was helping. <laughs> but we got back to my buddy's house that night. I took off the shoe, blew up like a balloon, but I didn't ice it. And the next morning, I started moving. And within a week, the swelling was gone and my mobility was back. And I'm just like, the old me would have wrapped it, would have put my brace on, would have iced it, and really it would have done no favors because it would have jacked up my knee, hip, and low back Mm -hmm. from the immobility. So while all that stuff has its place, you know, cold plunges, ice, and all that, movement is the one thing to get you past injury. It's got to be. You were moving moving when you got injured. No, say You were moving when you got injured. I was going to say, you're moving when you got injured, so you, you got you to understand that, like, it's going to take movement to restore where you at pre, pre-injury, you know? 
and and that is where then you can make the decision if you need to wrap it and demobilize for a little bit after you've added movement to back to it and like I currently have a client that he during one of during one of his bench presses he says that he just felt he he, he did the traditional where the knuckles go back down they point to your forearm and yeah uh, he he did basically a hyperextension of the wrist where the wrist goes into too much uh, extension anyways um, we've had like weeks and weeks from so I'm like hey I don't want you to wrap it I want let's let's mo- let's let's, uh, let's promote some good mobility let's do some um, uh, s- uh, stability movements with it all that. And then it got to a point where, like, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I, I, things weren't getting better. And I told him, okay, well, you don't want to go to a doctor because he doesn't want to. Like, he absolutely doesn't want to. He doesn't want to get an x-ray. It's to a point where I'm like, okay, well, we've done the mobilization. We've promoted the blood flow that's supposed to help repair it. We've done mm-hmm. the stability. Nothing's happening. I finally now think that you should wrap it maybe six hours a day for the next two days, uh, just six hours, then move it again, add some ice if you need to, and then we'll see where where we're at. And yeah. I actually got to follow up with him because that's actually where we're at right now. But there is a time and place. There's a, there's a time and there's a place for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and like w- with me, um, I work with a lot of people who work on computers and their wrists are just super weak or they're very overpowered in their flexors. So... Um, mm-hmm that's been one of my kind of fortes lately is, is repairing wrists and elbows because everybody's here. So I teach people, especially kettlebells, you always want to think like if you were to throw a punch at somebody, are you going to break your wrist or are you going to stack it? You know, and if they're benching and they're really wobbly here, I basically just put them through a whole range of bottoms up stuff on kettlebells. Yes. And then I teach them. I said another thing too is like, you know, the beauty of like a Turkish getup is the goal is to keep your eyes on the prize the whole time. Right. And people are like, well, why is that? I'm like, well, take your eyes off the kettlebell and see what happens. And they start going exactly. all over and they're looking at the floor. And I'm like, okay, well, when you make a connection with that, there's your nervous system right there. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you're conscious of what you're holding, all of your focus is going into that. Right? Now, when you're under a bench press, most people are like, oh, my God, my back, my chest, my shoulders. They're not thinking about this. So stability in the wrist is one of the one of or lack of stability in the wrist is one of the things I see the most in people. And just that little bit, it doesn't screw up, but it kind of kind of suppresses all of their potential on their lifts because they've just lacking something so simple, stability. you know? So, like, I work with one guy who, he's in his 50s, or he's just turned 50, I think, and um, he does jujitsu, And he came to me with just some really tight posture stuff, tight wrist and he he works on a computer and we're about two months in two and a half months in and he said his private jujitsu coach is like he's like what are you doing different because now my client can like flip his coach and he can he can get him to tap and everything which hasn't happened in years and i said like all we've done is work on like wrist mobility glute strength shoulder mobility and now he's able to just do so much more without those like physical limitations and it's just, it's That's so awesome. simple. It's so simple to work out of it. It's just like, it goes back to, you have to be consistent with it and you have to want it. Otherwise you're going to just keep hurting, you know? You heard it here. Sexy, sustainable, <laughs> simple. Yes. Really. It makes a huge difference. So it's cool that what's his face is juggling on a BOSU ball on Instagram. If that makes him happy, that makes him happy. But it is a small, <laughs> simple, sustainable stuff that makes a big impact over time and i know larry does like the bosu ball but 
I think oh, you, I you also know. I know you also know. But it's more it, than you, just a Bosu ball. Yeah, you know it has yeah. its time and place, just like everything. Um, yeah. What yeah. is as as we wrap up? What is one like hill that you that you want like that you know you'll die on and that you want to share that uh, with your with your clientele, with your friends, with your family, whoever do you want to invite ha- have invited to listen to this? Your final words. <laughs> my final words. Uh, my parting wisdom. I don't know, man. I think. I'm just at the point in my life and what I try to uh, teach people and try to do myself is just like we live in a we live in a time where I always make this joke or if you've seen the movie Wally, where it shows everybody kind of cruising around in their pods and everybody's overweight I just I feel like we're slowly moving towards that because everything's so easy and every it's so easy to be sedentary and just live that all I, all I can ask people is that no matter what your age is at right now, do you have pain? Are you happy with how you feel? Are you happy with where you're at? If not, you got to realize that in five years, it's going to be worse, no matter what it is. So if you can at least start prioritizing your mental, emotional, and physical health, and at least just do something for you every day, it doesn't have to be working out. It doesn't have to be anything like physically challenging. It could be just sitting for an hour and reading every day, but nobody takes time for themselves anymore. They, we constantly live for other people. Most people clock into their jobs for other people. They collect their paycheck and give a cut to other people. So at the end of the day, I just feel like not a lot of people have many things for them anymore. And I think it's really important to just set a little time aside for you every day, because at the very least, if your emotional and mental health is not where it needs to be, it's very palpable and it will wear you down as you get older. So I think if I can, if anybody's listening that is just like struggles with that stuff, just, just do something. Doesn't matter what it is, but it's gotta be for you. And it can't be because a person told you to do it. It has to be something that you truly want. It has to be your decision, you know, and do it well. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Thank way, you. Way, Thank you. Way to do it. Way to do it. Man. <laughs> way well, to we do appreciate. It, man. <laughs> we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having this cool discussion. Dude, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy. Hopefully, but, people don't don't mind my monotone, half head cold <laughs> voice. You know, but. <laughs> No, I think they're. I'm I'm hope. I'm hoping, and I know like they're gonna like enjoy the information that you gave out because you have such valuable information to give and to work with. And any anybody that's in Utah, like I've had people reach out to me in Utah before. Like I still have a client that I work that I work with. That she was a client with of mine back in Vasa. But I just, I'm like, you, you know, if you if if things don't work out virtually or you need somebody, like let me know. I I do have some really good connections of trainers and. Like it's you, and I know I haven't sent you a personal, uh, a personal client. Like I, I think of those things. And like who can somebody go to that needs that needs that quality and like a trainer that gives a shit, that a trainer that cares. And you are like seriously a huge resemblance of like a like a you care of every single person you work with, every single person that's around you, and it is it is it is valuable that that stuff is valuable so man i just just thank you so much it's been phenomenal um oh dude it's been awesome it's been great talking to you guys i'm happy gotta have you maybe have you have you have you again and be able to touch upon other topics (laughs) like the oh yeah dude i'd be happy to we we could talk for hours we can we can so appreciate it so part two coming at you but can't tell you when stay tuned <laughs> can't tell you when. Stay, <laughs> stay tuned, tuned. guys all right well cheers and that's another wrap up today stay gold cheers guys